Welcome to Sega Sanichiro, the only podcast that celebrates 25 years of the greatest system ever made, hands down. Period, boy. Tonight's heroes are Peter, Dave, Ben, Nick, and myself, Sicko, Pato, El Groucho, Marxo, Fantastico. Alright, so let's start this off the right. Uh, let's get some personal updates. And uh, let's talk about what we've been up to since we last recorded. So why don't we start off with you, Ben? So I've been hunkered down at my house and uh, basically playing a lot of video games, having a lot of fun doing that, going out grocery shopping when I need to. But other than that, just kind of hunkering down, playing a bunch of Saturn, a bunch of newer PS4 stuff, and uh, even some PS1 things. Cool, cool. Nice. I love me some PS1. But it's evil. It is very evil. Of residence? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> oh, I've also been uh, working on the um, my STV machine out in the garage. So I've got the controller all set up. I've got the, the banner and the marquee good to go. Now I just have to fix the monitor and it'll be finished. You got to send some pics of that when it's done. That's exciting stuff. Oh, what are you going to theme that Oh, of? totally. Like Radiant Silver Gun machine? Yep, it's going to be Radiant Silver Gun. That's awesome. That's a good one. I can't wait Hell to see yeah. it. Hopefully you use the Japanese ROM. You'll be able to use that extra button. <laughs> yeah, you have to use the Japanese ROM when you're doing a Radiant Silver Gun on STV because uh, the American version only uses two buttons, if I remember right, and the Japanese version is, uses three. It's pretty ridiculous. It was, it was either three and four or two and three, something like that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. What about you, Nick? What have you been up to? I've been up to reviewing World Series Baseball, which is different from many other Sega games that are also called World Series Baseball. It's it's definitely a baseball game. I'll say that. Um, also, working on the script for Offworld Interceptor Extreme, that's actually pretty fun. I think it's a little underrated. It's not great by any means, but it's 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 fun. It's kind of like a like if Mad Max and Outrun had like a weird space harrier themed tube baby, and then uh, also trying to wrap my head around Romance of the Three Kingdoms. That's a that is like really like maybe it's maybe I'm overcomplicating it. I'm just like trying really hard to understand it. There's not like a lot of how to available online, especially for the really early Romance of the Three Kingdom games. It's like. Oh, it's it's weird, man. Like it looks good. It's just like trying to understand everything about it. Like I get the basics right now, but there's like a gazillion options with gameplay and with how you can move your troops and your resources and stuff. It's 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 bizarre, but I I dig it. <laughs> um that's going to be a, a weird one. Uh, I finally beat Panzer Dragoon Saga for the first time. That's quite good. Is it worth hundreds of dollars? I I mean, I, I don't really think any game is worth that much, but Probably people drop a lot of money on different stuff, so they do. They do. I mean, if you're into collecting, I mean it's it's definitely one of the greatest Saturn games. I really, really enjoyed it. Would definitely recommend playing it if you're if it's feasible for you. And yeah, other than that, I think right now I'm been playing a lot of Panzer Zwei, just kinda trying to better my accuracy and hit percentage and so forth and uh also i've recently did a review on panzer dragoon remake which is it's it's all right it it definitely um like they're they the developers have already said they're going to keep patching it and hopefully it just keeps getting better 
Yeah, for sure. I played I played a bit of it. I haven't been able to sort of dedicate myself due to uh, a sickness I've come down with. But it was really it was a lot of fun for when I played, but I haven't really put the time into the original, so I'm gonna probably sit down and beat both of them and probably give my thoughts on them. Right on. Yeah. I think the game like the aim needs a lot of work. But uh, I really like the way the levels look. A lot of people didn't like the how many new objects were in level one and kind of the general look of things. I personally like the environments of it and kind of what they're going after. For some reason, I, I don't like the way the dragon looks. I think it, it doesn't look as good as it should. And, and the controls definitely need a lot of work. But as I said, they're updating it. They recently patched in a new soundtrack and it sounds just excellent. Um, there's the composer who did uh, Panzer Orta and helped her with Saga's soundtrack. She came in and did a new, fresh rendition of Panzer One soundtrack for the remake, and it it sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Nice. What uh, What about you, Peter? What have you uh, been up to? Well, a couple things. Uh, I've actually, for the first time, started playing Command and Conquer. I've had I've had the game forever, but I've just never played it. So I'm sort of getting into it and getting used to it. You playing GDI or? or- or nod, brotherhood of nod. Nod, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I'm starting as the the bad guys, and I mean it's it's kind of cool. It's interesting. I could completely see why it was a PC game and how it would be so much better with the mouse and so on. But still, I mean it's it's looking pretty uh, pretty good on Saturn. So I've enjoyed that. And the other thing that I've been up to is I'm just finishing writing a long, long article on Castlevania Symphony of the Night on the Saturn. And the funny thing about that game is I've actually played and finished it many, many times on the Saturn, and I've never played the PlayStation version, the original. So for the purposes of my article, I actually uh, ended up, uh, for the first time ever, playing through Castlevania Symphony of the Night on the PlayStation, just so that I can understand you know, why people are saying the Saturn version's not the, the better one and that there's issues and what have you. So it was kind of a neat experience to to go through Castlevania on the PlayStation for the very first time. Nice. I can't wait to read that article. That's going to be awesome. Gotcha. What about the, what about you, Dave? Yeah, well, the world kind of went down the tubes since the last time uh, we recorded, and so I've mostly been working from home remotely and spent a lot of time in the garage doing, I don't know, playing games, games with my kid and doing streams and stuff. We, I played some Top Skater. That was fun been playing a lot of my 3DO getting some time in on that and uh did you play the top skater with a skateboard or did you use like a keyboard and mouse no i played it with a 360 controller the usb pc uh xbox 360 controller you can basically use the analog controls for like the board sliding oh, sideways and of slamming your heel on the back of the board that's probably broken at a chuck e cheese I know. Right? Well, I got to slam those boards enough back in the day. I used to go to like one of the local casinos that had like a huge arcade since I grew up in Reno uh, and, and play a lot of Top Skater, a lot of the Naomi games like the bass fishing and stuff like that. Um, was that like Aladdin's Palace? It wasn't. It was like, um, I don't remember what, it, I think it was called Atlantis or something, the Atlantis um, in Reno. Yeah, they had like a huge arcade on the third second or third floor um that was really fun but lots of sega games so yeah playing playing some model 2 games bringing back some good memories and 
I've been playing a ton of a ton of random stuff with my son, you know, whatever he happens to be into. So I've been playing some Pokemon trading card game online. <laughs> with oh no, I've been playing he, that too. Oh, he can kick my ass. Like it's funny. Like he's six years old, but he can just totally own me. And been playing some Might and Magic Clash of Heroes, which is an excellent game that came out on the DS in 2009, and then they released it for PC, PS3. Um, I think Xbox 360, a bunch of different platforms, but it's an awesome game, and he kicks my ass at that too. So, you and he, he's, your, he's really good ID. at like strategy games. I definitely will. Yeah, we can trade some stuff. I'm just, I'll, I'll own you with my Charizard or whatever. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. But yeah, I'm just kind. Of, he's kind of showing me the ropes with that. So, doing some of that, and then um, I don't know. I, I since we have so much time on on our hands and stuff, I've been going through my consoles, just opening them up. Opening them up and blowing some of the dust out and putting on new grease and stuff like that, you know, just to... I'm just imagining you just, like, blowing out with your mouth, just going up to him, like... That's right. <laughs> it gets in my eyes. Ha-ha! <laughs> no, uh, no, I've been, you know, I've been using appropriate <laughs> appropriate equipment. I will say that the, the yeah, the hairdryer trick works a charm on the bottom. Like, if, if a lot of these plastics are really old and brittle, so you just heat them up a little bit. I wouldn't say use a heat gun because that might overdo it on the plastic. But if you use a, a hair blow dryer, just heat it up to where the plastic just gets warm and then you're able to undo the screws without um, without any of the posts breaking off, you know. And then just use some, like, white lithium grease on the drive mechanisms to, to keep them from making any noise. And um, I don't know. That's the kind of stuff I'm doing now since I have nothing but time on my hands. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of me, I've been. Uh, uh, I accidentally got got caught with a sickness. So for the last three weeks, I've been, you know, in and out of bed, working and being very tired. If you're wondering what sickness that is, just look at the date of this video, this uh, podcast, and you could probably calculate and figure out what that sickness is. But yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, I got a new game, uh, uh, Mars Matrix, for the CPS two. So I've been playing that. Uh, really expensive, but a lot of fun. Uh, the Saturn kiosk is on hold because I can't lift the PVM into it because I'm sick. So I don't want to try to lift 50, 60 pounds into a little tube thing. But that's almost done. I got all the pieces I just need to put stuff together, and that'll be good as new. It's gonna be. It was. It was a lot of fun to do finding all the parts, but you know the sickness kind of put that on hold. So in terms of that, and just playing Command and Conquer, that game's awesome. I played a little bit of Z2, uh, not a big fan of that, but, you know, is what it is. And uh, that's about it. That and, you know, just working and doing little projects here and there when I can get out of bed. Oh, I beat Resident Evil 3 as well, twice, so. Nice. Hell yeah. That was fun. Yeah, it was really short, but it was like, I don't know, I thought Resident Evil 2 was better, the remake, but the remake for 3 was fine. And that's about it. All right, guys. Uh, I used to probably should talk about this, but did you guys see the uh, the news product by Terra Onion that they announced? The uh, mode is what they yes. called it. That's that was wild. God mode. <laughs> yeah, multi optical yes. disc emulator mode. I love it. 
So for those of you that don't know, it is a optical drive emulator for both the Dreamcast and the Saturn. So you can put it in either or, and you can basically use it like any Rayer, Phoebe, or GD-ROM, GEMU. But yeah, it's kind of insane. It's uh. It supports not only uh, SD cards, but USB and uh, and SATA drives. So you can throw like an SSD in there or something and be good to go. supports like a small SATA 2.5 HDD hard drives. And it's compatible with uh, with Redump and Toastic images. You can compatible with CDI, GDI, CCD, MDF, BIN, ISO, ISO, and Q images. So it's going to be good for everything. I'm just super impressed with how extremely versatile it is. Like, it has a ton of capabilities, and the fact that it works with both, like, that's not something we've ever seen before. At least not that I can remember. I absolutely agree. I think they're marketing it wrong, though. I mean, it's it's a great idea. It seems like a great product. I just think they're kind of... People are confused, and if they just said if they just said that it is a universal ode you know that works with if they just build it as a universal ode then people would get it more rather than the having the saturn and the dreamcast on the box and people are asking that question like can i plug it into both systems at the same time how does this work why is this special you know they really need to like clarify that that's that's what's unique about it is that it is universal using the fpga it can literally um, reconfigure itself and they give you all the ribbon cables you need so that it's like got compatibility up the wazoo and you can literally just use it on anything it's a little more expensive than the current options but then again it's going to be I think a lot more available just because they're mm-hmm. really just focusing on this one product as far as you know ODEs go. Um they've got the they've got the mega cart and everything. And do yeah. you have any other projects besides that? They did the Mega SD, the the Super System 3 for the uh, PC engine and they did the Neo right. SD uh AES and NVS cartridges. Right, right. Okay. And those are still in production. The MVS and Neo Geo cart flashcards sort of go in and out, but usually they're pretty they're pretty reliable and they stay there for a while. So I I can't see the ODE being an exception because it's still up for pre-order, and those mm-hmm. will probably be hanging around. So it'll be at least the most widely available because Terra Onion I they're known for a lot of things and a lot of issues, but one of them is not availability. It's right. pretty widely available to get. So unlike the the Ray of the Ray of Phoebe and the G, GEMU, it should be widely available and apparently now the Fenrir Fenrir yeah yeah that's also sold out but that doesn't even have 100% compatibility at this moment yeah Yeah, I think availability is such a big thing absolutely with the FPGA they can they can continue to patch it you know patch the HDL so that uh, I mean it can get better and better over time and it's not like this thing that's just frozen in time you know as far you know like Fenrir for example might be a really great product but it is what it is and it's not really going to change they can do some firmware updates but I mean with this they can literally change the architecture with a firmware update you know so I that's think the Fenrir is also FPGA I believe so it, sh- it should be able to eventually uh, eventually 200% compatibility but for now it's not 100% but it can get there so it's not not a lost cause but yeah and the thing about this one that a lot of people people been criticizing is the price for the mode it's about uh, 200 usd 
after all the shipping and stuff. So right. it's it's a bit pricey, but also it's the most available and it's you know, you can switch it into anything. So if you really wanna if you really want a Dreamcast one instead of Saturn or vice versa, you can just switch it out. Its flexibility is really good and so I think that really complements its price, especially with how much compatibility it has with the different formats. I was kind of surprised yeah. like how I don't know like angry it makes some people like i i just i was surprised at some of the reactions that people have about this thing and i don't know if they're feeling like burnt about the price or if it's just i don't know what it is if it's a perception thing but like yeah there is a lot of options and you know just because there's a lot of options doesn't mean that you know people have to get like butt hurt that there's like this new <laughs> this new option that some people are going to want you know I, I know that a lot of people seem enthusiastic about it, but I've also seen quite a bit of hate, and I'm just like, I don't know where that's coming from, you know? I think the price is a... Like, people complaining about it being too expensive is kind of a weak argument, since a lot of the other uh, options are so unavailable and so hard to find that you're not even going to be able to get them, even though they're cheaper, like, for the most part, and, at least. Yeah, and some of them weren't even cheaper. Like, to begin with, they've come yeah. down, but, like, they were expensive to begin with and what were you gonna say pat i think one of the biggest things is that it's a lot of people i think are worried about the availability i saw a lot of people like hey another ode i can't get a lot of people that are in the the center community i don't think they're familiar with terra onion as much as you know people that sort of are more broad broadly based that are in the neo geo and in the pc engine community and i think they're worried about that uh terra onion had some issues in the past with their their super ssd3 where it basically uh, had a lot of issues with the video output and things of that nature that people are worried about. So there's a lot of little things here and there that make, make people worried. But I think for the most part, they're, they're really good on their uh, flash cart route and their ODE stuff. So I think for the most part, there's nothing really much to worry about in that department. As I think the Mega, the Mega SD was fantastic, and I've heard no complaints about it. So if that's the case for that, I think they might be good on the uh, flash cart, or the sorry, the ODE mode. Well, if anybody's worried about the price, it is half the price of a Polymega. This is true. This is true. And you'll eventually probably get the mode as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, I honestly think, you know, $200 might seem steep. I mean, it's, so it's $40 more than the GDMU, right? And it's about 100 bucks more than the Fenrir. Both of those are incredibly hard to get. Rhea and Phoebe, same story. So assuming this is widely available, if it sells well and then they're able to buy a lot more parts in bulk and they're able to knock that price down over time, it might even be even cheaper and more widely available. But uh, definitely the people who come and support it to begin with, that's the crowd that they're you know wanting to see you know, how far this thing goes, obviously. So they have to start it out at a price that's sustainable. And I mean, I think $200 is not that bad of a buy-in when you consider that, you know, if you change your mind and you get like a satiator, you can take it out of the Saturn and put it in the Dreamcast and you're good to go. And I mean, if you think about it from a game price point, I mean, it's like less than half of the price of Panzer Dragoon Saga and Seriously. a lot of Dreamcast games as well. Yeah. So like after like four, four or five heavy hitter Dreamcast games, it's about that it evens out. Mm -hmm. Same thing, uh, maybe like even one or two Saturn games, it evens out in that case. So, and SATA, right? S uh, SATA or SATA compatibility. Yeah. You know, you 
that you can argue there too, you know, that it's going to be more accurate uh, drive emulation, and then you're also going to be able to use like a huge drive, you know, so you can yeah, have everything Yeah, just throw like there. a 500 gigabyte SSD in there and you're good to go. Good to go. So yeah, no, I'm super excited and I can't wait. I pre-ordered one myself. I don't know, did you guys pre-order it at all? I haven't yet. Uh, I pre-ordered it. I'm very intrigued by it. I really want to see uh, what it can do and how it handles it. It looks very fascinating to me. Gotcha. What are you going to put it in, Dave? Are you going to put it in the Saturn, uh, Saturn or the uh, Dreamcast? <laughs> I, I'm i going to put it in my... Well, I don't know. I hadn't really even... I, I was getting it for the Saturn, honestly. Uh, and But it's nice that I have that option, you know? I have, like, four Dreamcasts, though, so it might be fun to do something with one of those. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good option. I'm really happy we have all these options for mm-hmm. the for these ODEs for the Saturn Dreamcast. Like it's not like a one market owns all like it was back in the day with the uh the the Rhea and Phoebe. If you guys are skeptical, just wait and see, you know. I'm sure that like Sega Lord X will do a video, Pat'll do a video, Peter might write an article. You just, you know, some people are going to take that plunge and, you know, I'm sure it it looks like it has a better chance of being a professional and widely available product than anything that's come before. So I guess you can, if you have a Rhea or Phoebe, consider yourself lucky, consider yourself on like the, the fringe of like the new, but you know, this is what's coming. And um, I think that it's, it's only the beginning, you know, there's going to be more things like this available as our generation comes into, you know, the current market for retro video games. These consoles are becoming more relevant, so there's going to be more products like this. And you never know. There might be newer products and better products that come out eventually. You right. Know, the fu- we, don't, we don't know what the future holds. And also, if you already have a Raider Phoebe, don't throw it away or feel bad for not getting this. You're, you're still good to go. I mean, it's still a great product. Right. So, Pat, you have a, you have a Raya, and you're getting one of these. You're, so you're going to put this one in the Saturn? Uh, actually, I don't know. I think I might put it. I think I'm gonna do it in the Saturn to test it out, and then I'm gonna think I might make it in the Dreamcast because I already have the the Raya, So I mean, it's kind of pointless, but you know. Sure. I don't know. I could have two set because I have the kiosk. I might put in the other the other Saturn I have and just keep it in there. But yeah, I don't know. In all honesty, um, I got it because I know I want to put it into one of them, but I don't know. I collect for Dreamcast, so I don't know if I want to like take that plunge and go pure flash on that but you know right but you're in a position where you can do like a side-by-side comparison you know yeah and i'll do i'll be doing that for sure and make and testing those out but i don't know where it's going to permanently reside yet it's still up in the air maybe just the dreamcast so i'll have something if i'm bored but you know i have all those discs so it's kind of pointless compared to the saturn where i don't have that many games for it All right, so a main topic. We're going to go through and talk about each of our favorite games. Did you want to start, Peter? Sure. So I think it's probably not a surprise to anybody that my favorite game is Nights into Dreams. It's, you know, it's a game I kind of fell in love with right at the beginning. It was it was a time where, you know, there really wasn't an internet to turn to. 
There wasn't a lot of information on this game out there unless you were reading the magazines. And even the magazines didn't initially really understand what this game was all about. So when I first got it, of course, I ended up completing the game fairly quickly. And I have to admit, I was initially a little bit disappointed. I thought, well, this doesn't you know, compare in length at all to games like Mario 64 or even Crash Bandicoot. So I uh, was initially disappointed, but the game, there was, there was a charm to the game. And so I kept playing it. And eventually, you know, I understood that it wasn't about finishing the game. It was about uh, scoring uh, as high as you can and about trying to, to, to do better than you did, you know, on your previous run. And, you know, and then as I played, you know, new sort of things opened up to me. I, I noticed more and more nuance. You know, I became very familiar with the A-Life and how that worked. Um, it took me forever to understand what in the world a Meepian was. I mean, that wasn't in the game manual. It wasn't, you know, you couldn't really read about any of that anywhere. Um, but eventually I, I figured out what it was and, you know, how the A-Life worked and, you know, what you could do with it. So it was just, it was one of those games where you just kept discovering things. You know, and, and you know, they were big or small discoveries. I mean, I will never forget the first time that in Splash Garden, there's an overhead scene where you... Uh, fly over this uh, flower uh, bed and you know it's the flowers are arranged in the shape of a clock and then the clock actually tells actual real time so so long as your Saturn is set to actual time then it'll display the you know the the real time uh, on, on this little flower bed so it's little things like that that nobody really picked up on you didn't read about this in the manual you didn't read about this in the magazines of the day there wasn't really internet to read about this stuff and so you were just discovering how completely uh, you know deep this this particular game was and so over the years I've you know just played it fairly non-stop and I've just learned to love it and to me it really represented the Sega Saturn in a way because nobody really understood it at the time nobody really knew the best games for it at the time everyone kind of wrote it off and so this game to me was very sort of symbolic that way and it you know to this day remains my favorite video game of all time so yeah that's that's for me it's nights into dreams all the way and your scores in that game definitely represent that yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I Sometimes just for fun, I will look on YouTube and, and see if I can find some high-scoring folks and how they, how they play and whatever. And I'm not going to say that I am the highest scorer in the world, but I'm probably in the top five. And the neat thing is, you know, if I watch these videos and I dissect how people play, I know that there's some sections or some parts where folks will play better than me, but I also know that I've got some techniques and strategies that I can pull off better than anybody else. So it's a neat little thing to follow all these years later. Definitely. That's a great choice, Peter, and a great game as well. I really enjoy that game, even though I'm garbo at it. All right, what about uh, what about you, Dave? What's your uh, game pick? Well... My true favorite is Knights as well. I don't know. D Peter said a lot of what I would say, and it definitely is. It, it definitely probably is my favorite game of all time, if not probably uh, another Sonic Team game, which is uh, Fantasy Star Online. But what I can say about Knights is that I didn't get as technically into it as Peter did back in the day. But this game just pulled me in from a visually aesthetic standpoint. There was just something so mysterious about it. And so kind of unsettling. <laughs> I don't know, like, 
the content that it's based off of, which is like the Cirque du Soleil Mystere show, you know, is also kind of unsettling and off-putting. It's very, I mean, it's in the name, it's mysterious. And so when I first saw Knights in Motion and I saw this game, it was kind of, it was kind of like nothing I'd ever seen before in a video game. And I don't know, that drew me to it. Like that really drew me to the Saturn too, because I was like, this is not conventional. This is, this like breaks convention. Um, it's incredibly colorful. It moves really fast too, which was, you know, Yuji Naka's whole thing. It's got to move fast and fluid. And it really did. And, you know, I loved Sonic, but this, you know, Knights just did it for me. I, everything from like the color palette to the the worlds, the lush worlds that they created, to just the whole art direction, to the whole, the fact that it's all about these kids' dreams. I used to take the CD out and like play it in my my CD player, <laughs> like when I would go to bed. You know, funny enough, when I first got that game, my CD player as well, my car. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's trite, you know, <laughs> like there's like the whole kids singing, you know in the night but i my brother and i we just we just loved this game so much but more me probably than than my brother and you know maybe i felt a little embarrassed about it because it is very it's um i don't know what did claire say just like wholesome i guess but it's such it's a very great innocent game in nature it is it is very innocent and i mean as a cool gamer you know you don't it's it's not one of those things that you're like oh yeah I'm a huge Knights fan but like I totally am and um, yeah the Knights among many many games that uh, are very similar on the Saturn it just it, it embodies the dark horse system that the Saturn is and uh, the music is excellent everything about this game is just is like Peter said it's just absolutely excellent so yeah it's my favorite Saturn game for sure and it's a really close close tie with fantasy star online you know i feel like it gets better the more you play it too it's definitely one of those oh yeah i don't really play too many modern games but out of the ones that i do i tend to play more the indie stuff the small developer stuff and they're the guys that usually go for like the artistic sort of games and the sort of high concept games much more so than obviously the mainstream stuff and there really wasn't any indie development back when the saturn was relevant but boy, Knights would have really kind of fit that bill. I mean, you know, sure, it was a flagship title and whatever, but it was bizarre enough and different enough that, you know, you'd almost, you almost get that flavor that it's sort of more of a, you know, a work of art first and then a video game second. At least that's what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. And you're right that so much about it, <clears throat> because I would read that manual cover to cover because I, like, wanted to know more about the game and just just experience everything that it had to offer uh you would read like tiny little things tiny little hints in the manual or 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 see things that you'd be like well wait the manual doesn't say anything about this what you know the meepian thing and uh peter is the first one that told me about the king pian i i didn't even i didn't even know about that until so a lot of the technical stuff i i became aware of through just talking to peter and stuff but but even but you don't you can like knights on so many different levels to be honest with you you don't really have to be uh, the best uh, the highest scorer you know to really appreciate the game but but there's so many layers to it so you can definitely get more out of it the more time you put in. It kind of gives me the uh, the res vibes because I played that game it kind of has that sort of high concept arcade arcade game you know point scoring you know. 
Yep. Sega makes you feel they they know how to make you feel really good about yourself when you're when you're doing well. And I will say that for anybody who is frustrated with nights, you until you try, you can't possibly know like the nirvana that it is to be pulling off like a continuous link, you know, and feeling like you're Neo from the Matrix or like you're just pr pretty much invincible because like when you're doing when you're pulling off an A rank and you're you've got a, like a chain of links going on, you really do feel great and it is a it's a, it's hard to put into words the the feeling that it gives you. So I would say that for anybody who's really frustrated for it with it, if you go and watch YouTube videos like Peter's saying, you watch people how they do it and then you give it a shot and you get better at it. And of course you have to use the 3D controller cuz it was designed for that. Well, so I got to add a quick little story. So I was watching uh, YouTube videos on nights today just for fun. And, I mean, guys, I've played this game since 96, and, you know, I think I've seen it all. I think I know the game inside and out and what have you. One of the levels in the game, it's called Stick Canyon, and there's one section in the game where Knights flies through, like, this little magnetic machine thingy. And as you go through this section where you're not actually picking anything up, but everything kind of sticks to you, right? So, you know, uh, like if you go through rings, they will just kind of uh, collapse and stick onto you. And, you, you know, Knights ends up becoming bigger and bigger because there's all this stuff stuck to him. And then he goes through the other end of the magnetic machine and it just kind of counts up how much stuff stuck to you. And it gives you a point value. And then, you know, the regular game kind of resumes in, and off you go. And inside that section where, you know, you've, you're kind of magnetized, there's a stunt ribbon ring. And I, I always thought, well, geez, that's the one stunt ribbon ring in the game that you can't actually fly through because, you know, the minute you do, it just all kind of collapses and it sticks to you. So, I, I you know, I, it was kind of clever that the uh, programmers put it in there because you could never really actually, you know, go through it and pick up a stunt ribbon. So I'm watching this video today. And the guy goes through the level, he gets back to the beginning, because they're all circular, and then he turns around and he, he, he goes backwards. And he goes back into that magnetic area, but because he's flying the course in reverse, nothing's magnetizing to him. And he suddenly can pick everything up, and he can go through rings, and he can pick up that stunt ribbon. And so 25 years after you know the game came out, or I guess 24, whatever... I think I've seen it all, and today I learned something totally new, totally cool. And of course, because he picked up an extra stunt ribbon, he can get higher scores and all that. And and he just kind of played the game that way. And so it just blows my mind that all these years later, you think you've seen it all, you think you know it all about this game, and there's still stuff that people are kind of doing or pulling off or you know trying out, and you're just getting all these new and unexpected results. So it just kind of underscored what this game uh, is all about. You know, it's kind of weird. That's how I feel about the Saturn in general. Once you think you know everything about the Saturn, there's something weird that changes it up. Yeah, you're totally right. Absolutely. Gotcha. Okay, what about you, Ben? What's your uh, what's your favorite game on the Saturn? Okay, so getting to my favorite game is a little bit of a story. It's a real quick one, but basically I had a friend. I had a couple of friends. My uncle had a Saturn. A couple of friends of mine had a Saturn. I never had a Saturn when it first came out, but I always loved going over to my friends' houses and playing it. Now, uh, we would play different things, but when I actually got a Saturn decades later, you know, this was around uh, early 2000s, 
Um, I picked up a collection, and I would play a bunch of different games. And my favorite games at the time were 2D fighters. I loved Mortal Kombat. I loved Street Fighter. I loved these kind of games. And uh, so the Saturn, in my opinion, was just amazing for those. It was the best. It was definitely better than the PlayStation at some of these games. And uh, so I was playing these on there. And at the same time, building up a bit of a collection... Uh, because a lot of people were just giving away Saturn games at that time for next to nothing. And so I had a bunch of games that I just hadn't even gotten to yet at the time. And uh, when I was getting married, uh, my wife at the time uh, was worried that my video game collection hobby was kind of getting a little too excessive. And so I told her, you know, I'm, it's no problem. I will sell these if I need to. And just as an example, I got all of my Saturn stuff together and uh, got it listed on eBay, and I sold it off. And so she knew that I would collect the stuff that I wanted again, but it was a gesture, you know, of, you know, showing good good faith that I, it wasn't a problem. So, but one of the things that I wanted to do before I just kind of sold off all the games is I wanted to play the ones that I have not played yet. And surprisingly, Panzer Dragoon was one of those. And it's not that I had never heard of it. It's the fact that, I was playing all my fighters, and I was playing the obscure stuff because I just loved seeing what is available. And I knew that Panzer Dragoon was one of those that everybody talked about. And uh, I just, for one reason or another, just never got around to it. So so I popped in the first one and uh, was playing through, and I was like, wow, this is really good. This is a very good game. And um, so when I had gotten my Saturn collection built up again... The Panzer Dragoon 1 and Panzer Dragoon Zwei, or Zwei, or however they pronounce that, uh, were the first games that I ended up picking up. And that second game, that Zwei, that was amazing. It was just, I, I fell in love with it. One, for the fact that I love on-rail shooters. Uh, you know, they, you've got the old arcade shooters at the, you know, Star Wars that were an on-rail shooter. You got the uh, Star Fox and uh, even Van Ark, for those guys that know that one on the PS1. And I love these games. And so playing the Panzer Dragoon ones, this was just amazing. I was like, this is fantastic. The The gameplay is great. The The story is great. I just really enjoyed them. And so so that second Panzer game is definitely my all-time favorite for the system. And there's a lot of really good games that I really, really enjoy for the Saturn. Uh, so it, it it's they're all really clumped together as far as what my favorites are. But when people are asking me, you know, what is my top? That is definitely one that I would put there on top. Nice. That's a great one for sure. It, yeah, it's it's absolutely wonderful. The It's like they developed this, the gameplay from the first, which was good in its own right. And they just made it better. And a lot of times that's hard to do. When you have a formula that really works, uh, it's, you know, it's hard to really improve that. But they actually did it, in my opinion. And I, and I think a lot of people agree. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm still in the middle of playing it right now. I mean, I've beaten it a couple times already, obviously, but um, it's just still kind of... It, it's like like with Knights, like with any other arcade game, you just you keep playing it over and over again to improve your skills, get the... Not not the score in this case up, but, you know, your hit percentage and, and so forth. And the different pads that you can discover here and there, too, like, they, it, I'm still finding new surprises with Zvi. It's been really good. Oh, absolutely. And it's even more—it's even more cinematic than the first. Oh yeah. That that first scene where you're running and then you jump off the cliff, and you're just like floating there, 
you know, where the dragon learns to fly the first time. That just, like, I, I couldn't believe it when, when I was a kid, you know, playing that for the first time. That was just amazing. Nice. It just, it, it's storytelling, you know, even though it's a shooter, you know, it's like live cut scenes and it's just kind of telling a story, you know. And that was a hell of a story that it told, too. Yeah, it's, you know, I fell in love with the first Panzer and I especially like the music and everything. And the music is different in the sequel, but boy, it's a, it's a great game. It's, you know, the branching paths and the graphics engine is just smoother and it, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's such a wild ride. Gotcha. What about you, Nick? What would you say your favorite Saturn game is? Uh, you know, mine, it's its not a Saturn exclusive. It's its a port of an arcade game. It's Darius Gaiden. And I know I've told you guys this before, but yeah, that's that's been my favorite Saturn game for since I started playing it. Yeah, so I, I messed around with emulators and stuff through like middle school and high school. And I, yeah, I think I first saw Darius Gaiden. I think it was on Classic Game Room back when that channel was still popular. And um I was already into spaceship shooters, and I knew a little bit about the Darius games, but not a ton. And I watched their watched his review of it, and it was like this really good-looking, crazy psychedelic spaceship shooter where all the bad guys are giant mechanical space fish that shoot lasers and missiles at you. I'm like, all right, I want to play that. Um, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I I looked it up and. Saw that, you know, Mark had reviewed the Saturn version. The Saturn port was by far and away the best port of it. And I had already known a bit about the Saturn, and that was kind of what kicked me into getting into the console. And uh, I got SSF downloaded, the emulator, fired up Darius Gaiden, and was like, all right, this is great. Like, I was blown away by it. Like, I already really liked the 2D games and the sprite work and what a lot of the earlier spaceship shooters accomplished. And this is just like a just a really souped up celebration of like what spaceship shooters were in the nineties and uh, the branching paths and stuff. Like there's like a jillion different ways you can beat the game. Cause there's, it's like a, the map starts you out with in the same level and then you get to choose your path once you beat a level. So you can branch off into one of two levels after beating it. And it just kind of goes into this reverse pyramid of, of levels that you can go through. I think there's like, I'm pretty sure it's eight or nine different final bosses. I always forget the exact number. Uh, and then you just kind of, and you pick your, yeah. Uh, you're talking about the branching paths. And uh, what's great is you can basically, even though you'll choose like a million different paths, you start from the first stage every time. So you get really good at getting those first few stages really well. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that helps you, like when you've beaten the game on one path, it's very... Uh, it's 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 a lot easier than it seems to suddenly beat the game in what would seem like a basically like playing a different game. But like you said, Ben, you've already got those first few levels down, um, and by that point, you kind of have a groove. You're like, okay, I can get through these three or four fine, and then I can branch out from there. And that just kind of like leaves the door wide open to keep playing the game years later. There's just so many different ways to keep going with it. No, it's super good, and that obviously eventually motivated me to get a a real Saturn and start collecting and playing stuff on it so um but yeah that's for sure my top game always will be i think i don't think anything's gonna knock it off do you like horizontal shooters more than vertical that's a tough question uh you know honestly i I like them both quite a bit but if i'm playing vertical i I gotta flip the tv 
So yeah, gotcha. yeah. <laughs> or just <laughs> get like a permanent TV in Tate mode. What was that? Get a permanent TV in Tate mode. Th that's the dream, right? <laughs> At some I mean, point. That's what I got. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Same. No, at some at some point I'll have a I'll have one dedicated for that. But I think the the real challenge though is play a horizontal shmup in Tate mode. That's the real challenge. Yep. Or play through Panzer Dragoon in Tate mode. <laughs> Life goals, right? <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. doable. <laughs> Touch your head. That's right. Yeah, playing a playing a vertical shmup horizontally is also equally challenging, <laughs> unless you turn your yeah. head sideways. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> you know, what I used to do a lot is like I used to emulate in a laptop a lot, and for yeah. for vertical shmups, I would just flip the laptop on its side and play it like that. There you go. Yep. What about you, Pat? What's your favorite? That was hard. It was between two games: Die Hard Arcade and Virtual On. But at the end of the day, I had to pick Virtual on. I had so many good memories playing that in the arcades, uh, doing the two the two on two, just creaming people at the game, just sitting there, the giant lines killing everybody. It was a lot of fun. I loved it, and I always wanted one a home version of it, but I never knew one existed until years later. I looked up, I was like, wait, this game got ported to things. It's like, what's the Sega Saturn? And I slowly learned more about it. And that was actually the first game I ever got for the Saturn was Virtual On. And it's a really, really fun game. I I implore people that really love it to get the twin sticks. Because it makes the game so much better. So I've been on a bit of a kick trying to collect different Saturn peripherals, especially obscure ones. And I guess the twin sticks aren't... I mean, they're kind of obscure. They're not too many... Uh, uh, people have them because they were not released in North America. So would you say that they're worth it? They're worth going for? If you do get twin sticks, I would recommend getting the ones for the Saturn and then get an adapter for the Dreamcast because it's completely compatible. So that way you can only buy, you can get one twin stick for both the consoles. Nice. Okay. That's awesome. But yeah, I love that game so much. It's a lot of fun. It's hard between Die Hard Arcade and that one, but Based off all the fun I had on it, it definitely had to be go to Virtual On. That's a good choice. How, how do you... I want to know, how, what do you think about it compared to uh, if you played the arcade version a lot? And the arcade one was uh, Model 2, right? So yeah. how do you feel that the... How do you feel the translation came over on Saturn? It was alright. It still had some lag issues and it wasn't like 60 like the arcade. But I mean, right. it was Virtual On at, on the home console. So you play you the it same home. Fun. And the best part about it is that it's actually compatible with the the Netlink adapter. So you play that mm -hmm. online with people. Yep. So yeah, that's that's really great. I love that. I love Virtual On. And yeah, it's definitely better on the arcades. But I mean, if you don't have a room for the arcade machines, it's definitely a close second for sure. If you ever get a Netlink and a VoIP, we'll play some Virtual <laughs> Yeah, that'll For be sure. a laggy mess. That'll be so much fun. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it would be fun just to see. But yeah, it's a t ton of fun. Highly recommend it if you get a Saturn to get a Virtual On. I mean, even with the controller, it's still doable. But like I said, the Twin Sticks make that game. Cool.
we're gonna move on to our favorite Saturn memories. So, what would you guys say is your favorite memory about the Saturn? You know, launch, specific release, how Sony crushed Sega, you know, something like that. Let's start off with uh, you, Peter. Oh boy, well, so I actually have, you know, tons of memories because I was with the console, not quite right at launch, but I certainly followed it since launch, ended up getting it in 96, and, you know, tons and tons of different memories. One thing that sticks out in my mind is, especially after the Nintendo 64 launched, people kind of forgot about the Saturn. It was really relegated to not just third place, but it wasn't really even good enough to be mentioned alongside the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64. So people weren't even really aware of all the cool games that were coming out for it. You know, it's almost as if the market had completely collapsed from under it. But anyways, um, there never really was an official uh, Saturn magazine in North America. At the time, magazines were pretty big because, you know, internet was still very sort of uh, in its uh, infancy, but there was a lot of PlayStation and also Nintendo 64 mags. But I remember one day being in a bookstore and coming across a Sega Saturn magazine. It turned out it was the official UK Sega Saturn magazine. So I guess they exported that over to Canada because since that day, I think it was issue 16 or whatever, um, I've been able to find and get all of these subsequent issues. But these guys at the uh, official Sega Saturn magazine did a really good job at interfacing with Sega. They had the official license, so they often had, you know, the latest news on upcoming games and interviews with developers and all this kind of stuff that absolutely did not exist in multi-format mags in North America. So I was, it, it almost, it, it felt like I just had like this secret you know, knowledge of all this stuff that was coming up. And I remember often going to, you know, local video game stores, like specialty stores and asking, you know, when would this game come out? Or when are you guys getting this uh, particular title? And half the time they wouldn't even know which games I was talking about until, you know, a couple months later when it would suddenly hit their, you know, release schedule. So it was super cool. And it was thanks to those guys at OSSM that I've been able to sort of pick up uh, some import titles, especially, uh, not to mention domestic titles too, that ended up being, you know, insanely pricey, you know, with time. So I've been able to kind of pick them up um, on the cheap. And so, you know, with the Saturn sort of having faded so quickly from the limelight, it sort of felt like I was in on some big giant gaming secret that so few people knew about, you know. It was all PlayStation, it was all Nintendo 64, but I had, you know this inside track into these games that were just, in my opinion, way better than anything else that I could play at the time on the other systems. And no one else knew about this stuff. So that always sticks out as a favorite uh, memory of mine. Did you, uh, when you read the magazine, was there any games that they were clamoring about in the UK that you were expecting to release here, but you never got? Well, you know, it's funny you'd ask that because the game Power Slave came out in the UK as well, but in the UK it was called Exhumed. And I had no idea that it was, you know, going to be named Power Slave here. So I remember hunting for this game Exhumed. I figured it must be coming out in North America and going to all the game stores and asking about it. Nobody knew what in the world I was talking about. And I remember having to explain it finally to one of the uh, guys at at the local video game trader that, you know, it's an, uh, a first-person shooter set in Egypt, blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, Power Slave. And sure enough, they had just gotten them in. So so there were interesting quirks like that, for sure, where, you know, 
games that maybe were called different things or whatever. But there were there were also other you know instances like so Mega Man X three came out in the UK but not in North America or even Swagman. You know, so so there's different uh, titles that that you know where that was the case. But then there were also other instances where they were you know starting to cover import games and they were covering games like uh, Albert Odyssey, which they were hoping would come out in in the UK, but it had obviously come out over here. So it was just it was neat. You had to sort of really pay attention to to the regions and what was coming out when and what have you. But uh, yeah, it was a good it was a cool experience. Nice. What about uh, what about you, Dave? <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> Peter and I must be like the same person <laughs> because I was gonna say OSSM. Damn, that magazine is so sexy. It's like a, this large format magazine. If you've ever held one in your hands, it's like not like a normal magazine. <laughs> it's because uh, nor you know when you had Nintendo Power, it was like this tiny little. But but uh, they they spared no expense on that magazine. It was the Playboy magazine of the gaming universe. Uh, Peter said enough that needs to be said about that magazine. So I do have another memory that I can dig up. But yeah, you guys need to go check out that magazine. Um, but a really fond memory that I have, and I've talked about this before on the cast, is a game that you know, like Peter's right. It, it, being a Saturn fan was kind of being in on a on a secret that a lot of people didn't know about for better or worse, you know, because most people were either playing PlayStation or Nintendo 64. And and a lot of the by the time I came around to the Saturn, which was going to be, you know, late 96, early 97, even the game stores were kind of closing things down, you know, in terms of what they carried for the Saturn. And um, my local EB in the mall, which was my hangout spot, uh, they had like one tiny little shelf on the wall dedicated to Saturn stuff. And it was kind of toward the back. And they had this copy of Enemy Zero sitting on that shelf for a while. And um, it was heavy. I, I picked it up and it was really heavy. And I didn't realize then, but it's a four disc game so that's probably why it felt like you were getting so much you know but it was also like a 60 or 70 dollar game i don't even remember it was it was either 60 or 70 dollars and that makes sense because it was a four disc game and it said you know starring laura lewis and it was voiced by luscious jackson and and all these cool things about it and i at that point had never played d i didn't know who warp was or kenji eno or anything like that the game just looked super cool, you know, and on the back it says, you know, fighting an enemy you can't see, you know, and I just, that sounded like the coolest thing to me. So I asked, um, I asked my parents for it. I asked my uncle for it. I was like, anybody who will get me this game for my birthday or for Christmas will be, you know, my new best friend. So, uh, come birthday and Christmas, which is basically my birthday and Christmas are like a couple days from each other. Um, I got the game. Uh, my uncle bought it for me, and like literally, I was just like Splitsville. I was like, no, no dinner, no nothing. Just uh, told my brother to come upstairs with me. And we're like, we're gonna put on this game, and we we're gonna like beat it, you know, from beginning to end, you know. So we we just like sat there and played that game, and it was just. It was just the craziest thing. First of all, it's a scary game. I mean, for for like a 16 year old even i mean it's like 
very much inspired by Alien, you know. But you're walking down these corridors, and this thing is pinging, and then there's like this like chainsaw sound effect, and then all of a sudden, this monster's coming towards you, and you're toast, you know. Um, but you can't see it, you know, until it's just right up on you because it's invisible. So yeah, I just been waiting for it for so long, and it it's so great because like that the FMV cutscenes were awesome. The navigation was pretty cool. It was de- definitely a step up from games like D. I feel like it worked better. You had like this intercom system. You could talk to the other people, and then you could see them like their brains splattered all over their cabin over Jesus. the intercom, and you're like, "What the hell?" And then, uh, you know, so yeah, there's a lot of blood <laughs> in this game, but you know, also you get this feeling of like just unsettled fear every time you go out into the corridors because you're safe inside the rooms well most of the rooms you're safe inside the rooms but as soon as you head out into the corridors you're basically you know you're basically food basically (laughs) for these aliens and uh you know you have to get to certain areas of the ship Uh, in order to do that you have to traverse through areas that are just like riddled with these these aliens and uh, all you have is like this earpiece that just kind of pings in your ear telling you how close or how far they are. And um, that was just, I mean, even now I think it's kind of scary, but back then it was just made my mind race, you know, and it kind of gave me bad dreams too. But at the same time, I could not stop thinking about it because it was such a, it was such an, a weird and eerie kind of game. So yeah, we did make it to the, the different towers on this spaceship are named after seasons, you know, so you got like the summer tower, spring tower, winter. And, um, we finally made it through the entire game and we were laid up at late, uh, stayed up late. Um, just kind of like lying on our stomachs, playing this game on this tiny, like Commodore 64 monitor. But I just remember that vividly, you know, uh, we were like a foot away from the monitor and we were just both like scared shitless, (laughs) but yeah, it was, it was an awesome experience and it's an awesome game and one of my favorites. Yeah, man, for sure. I uh I was a really big fan of D. I suck at it, but it's a lot of fun. So Not D though, Enemy Zero. Oh, I'm Enemy an idiot, Zero. Sorry. Is, yeah, no, it's okay. D D is a great game, but Enemy Zero is is the one that I I'm need talking to play about. that one for sure. I I also have D2 on the Dreamcast I really need to play as well. That one yes, looks you like do. a ton of fun. Oh, D2, D2 is amazing. It's more of the... I would say that D2 is more like Enemy Zero than it is like D, the original D. It's really, nice. really good. I'll have to give, a, give Enemy Zero a shot, though. Looks like a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And Enemy Zero I know nothing about, so I'm going to go in blind. But from what you told me, it seems super interesting. It is. It's It's rad. Gotcha. So Ben, what is your uh, what is your favorite Saturn memory? So originally I was going to talk about my memory of when I was first playing with a friend of mine, Saturn Bomberman, at her house uh, when the game first released. And it's something that I brought up before. It's a really fond memory of mine. But going back and thinking about it, something a little different when you guys were talking about this stuff earlier with the magazine is um, if you guys did not grow up in the 90s, then you just you don't understand how crazy and interesting it was to be around during the time of all of these video game systems coming out and all these different game releases and everything was uh, for the most part had um uh, an exclusive basically a system exclusive 
And this happened across the board. You had all your Saturn exclusives. You had all your uh, Sega, you know, Genesis, Nintendo, whatever, everything. And so systems like the Sega CD and the Sega Saturn were things that nobody had other than just a few small group of people. And when the Saturn came out, I was fully aware of it. I had friends that had it. So I was able to play it, but it just... It was so unique and so different because everybody else had the PlayStation. That's just what they had at the time. But it was so much fun to go over and be able to play all these different games uh, with my friends on the Saturn because they were completely different. The Saturn definitely excelled in certain game types, like 2D Fighters, for example. And the it just it was just such an amazing time to be around and be able to experience this kind of thing we, we saw the rise and fall of things like the virtual boy if you remember that and um Rip. and the 32x that came out and uh so just being around during that time frame at the right age i was in high school i was i just started driving and so i'm 16 years old and th- this is exactly the right time to be you know playing video games and being a game nerd, you know, with all of these different systems coming out. The Dreamcast isn't even thought of at this point, but you know something strange is coming. And it's just, it was an amazing time to be a gamer. Um, in terms of my Saturn memories, I unfortunately didn't really have much nostalgic memories of the Saturn. I actually never really heard about it until 2005. The weird thing was I was a big Sega kid back in the day. Like in the 90s, but my parents never heard of the Saturn. I think I talked about this on a podcast before, but essentially, I don't know why in New Jersey there was no Saturn stuff. So, like, there's nothing. I never heard about it until 2005. And then I didn't really get one until 2015 with Virtual On. Even though I played Saturn stuff before, you know, like the STVs, like the Heard Arcade and Virtual On in the arcades, I never actually owned one. So in terms of my favorite memories, I guess I would have to really say uh, maybe pitching Sega Saturn Shiro to everybody and sort of creating this awesome thing, this awesome podcast, video stuff we do, and uh, just getting everybody in a loop and sort of getting all this the scene going. Uh, I, either that or maybe getting the Saturn kiosk was pretty awesome, mostly because of me almost having it fall on top of me, uh, loading to the house, almost pulling my arm out of my socket. So, a very painful experience, but I also had good memories on top of, you know, putting it together, getting all the parts for it, going to these stores, hunting down these weird bolts, the weird light fixture sizes to get it into the Saturn kiosk, and it's almost done. That's great, um, and that's, and yeah, probably those probably have to be my favorite memories uh, that are Saturn-related. I wish I had more when I was a kid, but I just didn't know about it. It's funny though, like all of us have very different experiences, you know, depending on when we got into the system or what drew us in, but it's all just super cool. And I'm just glad that we're able to share all this sort of stuff with the fans for, you know, to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the American launch. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm just glad that somebody like you, Pat, can find out about the Saturn in like 2015 you know, fall in love with it, start a podcast, do all this stuff, you know, that just speaks to what a great system it is and the fact that it's still accessible, you know, and that, you know, everybody has a story. It doesn't really matter where it starts, just that uh, this thing's still going. It's still kicking ass. Yeah, and, and that's the weird thing about it is that 
you know, I said it before with Peter earlier, once I think I know everything about the Saturn, something changes and I know nothing about it again. Like, just all, when it comes to weird games, obscure games, obscure accessories, weird uses for it, it's like it's a never-ending knowledge about it. And just the development over the years, over the last five years, is insane. I mean, we got ODEs, we got accessories, we got new games. It's crazy. Not to mention awesome content for it in terms of, you know, the Saturn Junkyard, the SSG, Sega Lord X, uh, of course, you, Dave, and everybody else. It's insane. It's insane. It's a fun, it's a fun thing to be a part of, that's for sure. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad we're finally seeing this thing go a little mainstream. You know, I mean, I I realize it's still on a way small scale compared to you know all those PlayStation fans out there, but it is nice to see uh, this this machine getting some love. You know, exactly. It's finally come west side. We it's finally got the love it deserved after all these years of neglect and nobody knowing about it. Yeah, and for a lot of people, it's kind of fun because it's like a it's it's almost like a new system for a lot of people who didn't really get in on it the first time. But the good thing is it's 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 not like a CDI or something. You know, like it's a good new system, you know, yeah. for people to get into for the first time and just discover all this cool stuff. It's also my favorite thing to shock people about when I tell them that the Saturn has more games than the 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 N sixty four. Oh yeah, for sure. It's kind of crazy when I tell people, I was like, are you kidding me? That little dead system has more games than the N64? And yeah, it does. Alright, so, well, my question for you guys is, why do you still play the Saturn? What is appealing to you guys that you really want to keep playing after all these years? Um, okay, yeah, so I'll lead off. So for me, it's definitely nostalgia. It, it, uh, similar to Ben, I mean, so this was when I was in my uh, teenage years uh, when the system was current. That was sort of the generation that I sort of gamed the most, I guess. Um, and the other thing, too, is uh, so 3D was really new. This was the generation that sort of broke 3D out into games, and so many games that ended up, you know, becoming franchises or valuable IPs had their start in the fifth generation. And a lot of those games ended up on the Saturn. So I'm talking about, you know, the first Resident Evil, the first Tomb Raider, the first Need for Speed, the first Rayman, you know, um, and the first Quake. And then there's, there's, there's quite a few others, but it was just a really exciting a time in gaming where you know everything was new people were trying out these wild and crazy things and and Sega you know was was known for sort of going out there and producing just crazy content and it was just it was amazing it was fun and and to this day I I haven't yet had a modern system that appealed to me with that kind of you know bold fresh I guess approach and I mean, again so I don't own a PlayStation 4 I don't own a next box whatever the latest iteration is but i find them all to be very sort of similar to be honest and there's nothing super cool and exciting that you know would would appeal to me the way that that the saturn did back in the day yeah i i kind of i have to agree with you i mean nostalgia is huge definitely i i, I think i'd be lying if i said it didn't have a part to play 
Um, and also just the fact that I'm so heavily involved in this community that, you know, definitely keeps me playing the machine, you know, cause we got to play games to talk about games. But, uh, I think also be, being a dad and not having a whole lot of time, uh, because, you know, my twenties, I was playing a lot of other consoles, you know, playing a lot of Dreamcast, a lot of PS2, PS3, uh, I mean, you name it, but, uh, and, and a lot of PC games too. But the Saturn really is like, it really is the epitome of the arcade at home, you know. Um, Dreamcast as well, for sure. Both of those systems had an arcade pedigree. And um, these days, you know, it's a small time commitment to pop in a really awesome, you know, 2D shmup or, um, you know, Die Hard Arcade, Sega Rally, Daytona, um, even some of the, even some of the other games on the system like lunacy or something like that don't really require that much of your time but they also deliver a really good satisfying gameplay experience you know nights into dreams you know very arcadey feeling you know easy hop in and hop out you know so for me and for my money you know these days and this might change you know i might go through um a period in my life where i come into a lot more time and i really want to start playing like really lengthy jrpgs again you know i will never sell my saturn i i i swear you you could, could you'll have to pull that thing out of my cold dead hands but i, I you know i'm i told I'm not, i've told my wife that too i'm like it is not even a discussion it's not even like we're not even talking about that it's never if you're the kids it, i'm going with saturn oh i said like if, if we are like getting kicked out on the street it's it's a necessity you know it's essential <laughs> it's not it's not for sale you know like it's not even for sale and i tell people that too i'm like don't if you don't want to sell your your beloved games and everything like that and you don't want to have to buy them again just don't even don't even consider it as being collateral you know <laughs> for for to pay your rent you know it's just not for sale but yeah no it's um, definitely hard though especially when you're looking at those 500 plus dollar titles and it's like i could have a lot of rent with this or a lot of new stuff with us that yeah it's true but i mean i feel like people always regret it you know people always regret that you know sell it off and then you end up having to buy it back for more than you originally paid for it but i don't know yeah so these days i play saturn because uh, and i still play other things like i told you i'm playing some uh I'm going to hit you up for that uh, Pokemon trading card game. But I, Saturn is all Saturn's always great for some good, fulfilling arcade gameplay. And it's also got some other stuff where it counts, too. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I really love it for that. Metal Slug, dude, it's got, it's got King of Fighters and Metal Slug. You can't go wrong. Can't beat that. That's still, that's still one of my favorite games, Metal Slug. Just uh, when I'm bored, I'll try and 1cc it to see how far I can get. Highest I got is level three so far, one CC, so that's pretty good. That was on the hard difficulty. That was on MVS, whatever the I think. Oh, level nice, four, nice, yeah. Twinkle Star sprites. I mean, I you could go on forever, but there are so so many like pick up and play games on the Saturn Saturn Bomberman. Ben was talking about like it. It literally is just a haven for man cave. You know, I just got to get out there and play like a half hour. Or whatever, you know, so I can get my fix. I guess the reason I love it so much is because I could play it, pick it up, and play it. Like, I don't have to have a huge time commitment like an RPG or, you know, now these, these games are all 80 hours or 100 hours. And it's like, uh, I just want to pick up a game and play for real quick. So 
something like Metal Slug or, you know, something like uh, Game Ten Goku or some shoot 'em up where I pick mm-hmm. it up for a couple of minutes. Okay, I'm good. I don't need to do have this huge commitment to it or I'll play it for a couple hours and that's it. I mean that that's what I love love about it, is that the short time commitments for it. Especially with the way my job is what I'm doing for Shiro. It's nice to just pick something up and play it and then drop it. And yet it's deeper than a phone game. You know, it's it's still deeper than Exactly. Or the gameplay elements and mechanics are deeper than, you know, your typical phone game. Yeah, it's it's amazing and it's why I love it. I mean I mean there's I mean there's a reason why I played Symphony so many times on the Saturn. It just all these games just pay up and go. It's not like huge time commitment or huge like uh, dedication to it. And while there are a lot of that stuff on the Saturn, like some RPGs, I mean, even then, they're not like 80-hour RPGs. They're like maybe 10 hours tops or something. Yeah, you can get into like Shining Force 3. You can get into a couple battles and then save on the field map and and log out, you know? But uh, you still... you. St- it's just that's that's the way Fantasy Star Online was too, you know. Get in, have a little fun, and and save. That's a good call out, Dave. Shining Force, because even though it's a strategy RPG, it still has a very sort of arcade feel to it. So yeah. you know, it's not like, say, for example, Final Fantasy Tactics, which demands you know a heavy investment of time. It is, even though it's you know a strategy RPG, it is sort of a pick up and play type of game. And it's really like. It really scratches that itch. Like there, it's addictive. Final, uh, if you haven't played it, Pat, you should. Uh, Shiny Force Three. Some people have a hard time getting over the jankiness of the graphics to begin with, but it grows on you, and the gameplay is just sublime. It really is. Like just getting in and and play playing like one or two battles just to advance the campaign. You know, it's just it's sublime gameplay. Yeah, no, I never had an issue on graphics for that. Like, I love Final Fantasy VII for its jankiness, so yeah. I have no problem with that stuff. I don't know who does, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I love it. I, I think that it has a really charming aesthetic. For sure. Uh, what about, what's the reason why you still play the Saturn, Ben? Well, uh, like the other guys have mentioned here, is there's a lot of good obscure stuff on a system that feels like something that was skipped over years ago. And um, I didn't get a chance to really play a lot of the Saturn. It was only a small handful of games that I ever was ever playing when it was out. And so going back to it, it's just like, this is this new system and a bunch of games and there's so much to play. And um, even after going through a lot of the U.S. library of the stuff that I played on it, now I haven't played all the U.S. library yet, but... Um, then I, I got introduced into the world of imports and the vast amount of even more games you can play on the Japanese side of things. And uh, so there's always something interesting to find. You don't have to worry about a game where, say, something older, uh, I don't know, Fallout 4. Okay, right. And do I remember the controls? Do I remember what I had in my inventory? No, I can go and pop a game in, and uh, basically I can play this for about 30 to 40 minutes, and I'm done with the game. You know, I can start it, and I can finish it. And like that's Diver. very true for a lot. Of, uh, yep, yep, that was that one. Yes. And uh, so th- these games are a lot of fun to get into, and you can sit down and have a good experience, a complete experience, in a short amount of time, and they're fun enough to want to come back to over and over again. 
For sure, yeah, no. I think we're on that same wavelength as the reason it's just, you know, it's not like a huge commitment, you know, it's the pick and go and it's still a lot of fun, you know, even after all these years. Another really good thing to kind of add on, kind of shoehorn in here, is the fact that Saturn still remains a viable platform to play certain games on that um, can be troublesome elsewhere. Like, an example, recently tried to play Myst, you know, tried to go back to, like, the Myst games. Had a Windows 95 copy that wouldn't run on my Windows 10. Had a GOG copy that was supposed to run on Windows 10 that would crash around, like, the second world. Uh, just, like, I have, like, three or four different copies of Myst different digital copies and even disc copies that just won't work on my current Windows 10 setup. And I can fire up Mist on my Saturn and it works perfect. And it still feels the same, you know, like it's still the same game. And, um, and it's great, you know. And then on top of that, like my, my son is getting into Sonic the Hedgehog for the first time. And I find like I just sit him down with Sonic Jam and he's got all the games at his fingertips, you know, all the, all the Genesis games. And he can set them at easy difficulty, too, so that he can kind of ramp up his skill level, you know? So he's he's been learning the Sonic games just by playing them on, like, easy difficulty and adding the spin dash in there, which was a cool little feature. You could add the spin dash into the original Sonic, and he just loves that game so much. And it really made me realize, aside from the fact that I know that I know Sonic Jam goes for crazy money these days, but... It really is a worthwhile package. Like back in the day, I know people wanted a, a quote-unquote real Sonic game, but getting Sonic Jam was a huge bang for your buck. You know, Just everything you get with that. So it's a, it's the Saturn is an awesome way to still play all the original Sonic games as well. Uh, in addition to a lot of other, um, you know, Sega Ages games and stuff like that, like Space Harrier and stuff. So. Yeah, no, for sure. I, how much is Sonic Jam's going for now for U.S. copies? It's around one fifty or a hundred or something. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it, that's it's way more than it should be. But yeah, like when I when I picked it up, I think it was like sixty or seventy, which is still was like more than it originally cost, and now it's like uh, one hundred and fifty or something. Maybe uh, is the Japanese version a little bit cheaper though? Much, much cheaper. I think. I would I'm just get sure. that in all honesty. I don't think. Really yeah, it's all English. the same. Yeah, no, it's it's completely, completely perfect. The Japanese version is completely perfect. Same with like Christmas Nights, you know, all that stuff that came from Sonic Team is pretty easily playable, with the exception of Burning Rangers being, you know, the audio being in Japanese kind of makes it hard. But yeah, for sure, I never really thought about that actually, that compatibility aspect of it, especially the game in Mist, where you know it's not as hard to play compared to PC. So it's like, you know, not really that demanding for controls. There are other games like that that come to mind as well. I mean, like Command & Conquer, which we're going to be talking about on the next cast. You could pop that into the Saturn and play some of the campaign or, you know, have to dig around with, you know, an old PC copy and getting it up and running and compatibility well, There's actually a good alternative for that. Um, if you get to Command & Conquer the first decade, all those games are, are, are optimized for Windows XP. So uh, I believe they play okay on Windows 10. I have a, I actually have a dedicated Windows XP machine that I made specifically to play all those games. So it actually nice. plays really well on it. I still suck at the game, especially the later chapters, but it's still fun. Cool. 
So on this show, Saturn Obscura, we're going to do it a little bit differently, where each of us picked each of our favorite Saturn Obscura games that we talked about in a previous cast or really didn't have a chance to go into or talk about, and we're going to talk about them here. So I'm going to start with you, Dave. What did you pick for your Saturn Obscura for this cast? Right, so I'm a big racing fan. I love me some Daytona and some Sega Rally. But I also have a, a guilty pleasure for Sega Touring Car Championship. I think a lot of people know that it, it's one of those games that I admit I like a lot more than I probably should. Uh, darn thing runs at like, I don't know, between 10 and 20 frames per second at times. So I know that that is not a good thing considering it's a... <laughs> yeah, it's, for a racing game, that's pretty much a sin. Um, and it definitely is one, the, the one thing that like holds the game down from greatness. But um, And I think a lot of people also are just frustrated with the game because the default controls feel like you are on a ice skating rink. <laughs> you know, you just the cars are just so hard to control out, out of the gate. But it is one of those games that, for one reason or another, it gets me. I, I just, uh, I, I really fooled around with the extensive tuning controls that they give you they give you a lot with this game uh in in the back end you know like in the options and stuff and and one of the things was the the ability to tune your car and i found some tuning settings that i really liked and it totally made the game change like it totally made the control change for me and aside from the fact that the that the frame rate is lower than it should be especially in the corners which makes makes it hard when you're coming up really fast um it's it's very controllable with uh, the tu- these tuning settings that I came up with for the AMG, the Mercedes AMG, and um, I, there are other things that I like about it. The Richard Jacques soundtrack, um, I, I really love Richard Jacques music on all of his games, and um, this is no exception. He uh, did some cool stuff with this game, and there's the there's like the uh, Eurobeat stuff in there as well. Um, oh, I love there's it. like the Avex Avex tracks and some other stuff there's um what else i mean there's the netlink compatibility that that they don't really ever talk about but they had like these events worldwide events where you could actually like dial in with your netlink and upload best times and stuff like that so it's one of those things i hope that um zyden is able to program a funk you know get that functioning again with like a dream pie it would be cool, uh, but you know it's a little impractical since most people hate the game. <laughs> but you know it's de- it, it's it's obscure when it comes to racing games because it just you know isn't as loved as as some of the much better racing games on the Saturn. But it is one of those games that that means a lot to me, and I just love how how it does some really cool things that none of the other games even try to do. And uh, Kay, who is uh, one of the Lead co uh, lead co-hosts of the Shiro cast a couple years ago bought me a, a production silver of it, so that means a lot to me too. That makes it even more special. That's pretty awesome. I'll have to pick that one up and give it a shot. I love me some Eurobeat, so at least maybe the music will uh, will like redeem it. Yeah, hit me up for the tuning settings, and then you won't want to like throw your controller against the wall. <laughs> Fair enough, I can do. All right, what about you, Ben? What is your Saturn Obscure for this cast? 
Okay, my Saturn Obscura for this cast is called Death Throttle. Uh, now, this was released in Japan, uh, but we actually got it in the United States as the game Quarantine for PC. And uh, Quarantine is one of those games. It's basically like um, Crazy Taxi mixed with Twisted Metal. And so you are more or less picking people up, dropping them off at different areas, and your taxi cab picks up upgrades and shoots people, runs over people, this sort of thing. It's it's pretty violent, and it's got FMV in it, which makes it even more 90s. And so this is a game that I, I used to play the PC version a lot. I have the Saturn version that I've just started playing recently. And uh, it's very challenging. The controls are a little difficult to get used to, especially when you have a cab that can jump, which is very odd, but it's true. And um, and it, I just think it's a very interesting game. Yeah, I got to try some. I got to try that on Saturn. I've played it actually on 3DO. Um, yeah. And I wonder, and I wonder to myself, you know, how it plays on Saturn. I think in Europe it's called Road Warrior, if I remember right. And um, the the downside with playing it on the Saturn is when you go into the depots to get your upgrades, it's all in Japanese. And I'm not Peter, so I can't read it. I have no idea what it's saying. So that's the only downside there. Gotcha. Uh, what about you, Peter? What would you say your pick for the Sam Skewer is? I've got a couple. I'll go through them real quick. Uh, first one, NHL 98. So that's an EA Sports game. I'm usually not a fan of EA Sports. Or EA in general, but, is it because uh, I screwed over the Saturn? Well, they they kind of did. They, Sega. Uh, they did not support the Dreamcast, and they just supported the Saturn in a limited way compared to the PlayStation and even Nintendo sixty four. But they did release NHL ninety eight, and it's it's an odd game. I love it. It's got a fairly low frame rate, but it's got play by play. Like uh, an announcer calls the play by play, and that is unique for the Saturn. That's the only game in which that happens. And so that's really cool. Uh, just an obscure little fact about it. It's, it happens to be the last time that EA made a game for any Sega console ever. That was it. NHL 98. After that, there were no more. Um, sad. It is kind of, in a way, sad. Because if, if for nothing else, the EA sports brand games were always high sellers. And in a way, I'm sure they moved hardware. I'm sure that they helped the Genesis sell in the previous generation, so that's kind of too bad. To be fair, I really like the Sega sports games to begin with. I think they're a lot better, and I actually heard that they're coming back with some of those too. Yeah, like especially during the Dreamcast era, I mean, you, you know, there was no EA, but boy, the 2K games really just knocked it out of the park. So, Yeah, and and they're coming out with new 2K games as well recently as well. I, I heard they're coming back, I think, this year maybe. Yeah, so that'll be neat to see how that sort of plays out. Um, two more I'm going to call out real quick. One is uh, Rainbow Islands, which is on the uh, acclaimed two-disc compilation called Bubble Bobble, also featuring Rainbow Islands. I love Rainbow Islands, and I think that the Saturn's got a very well-playing and nice and colorful version of it, so that's super cool. And the third one I'm going to call out really quick is Digital Dance Mix, featuring Nami Amuro. And it's essentially, it, it, at the time, it was a test bed for AM2 to see if they can get high-resolution characters running on the Saturn with lots of lighting effects and, uh, you know, quickly scrolling planes and all that stuff. And it's, it's just, it's an amazing technical showpiece. It's not much of a game, 
really. I mean, um, you know, she sings a couple songs and dances to them and whatever, and you can zoom in and out and move the camera and turn on various lighting effects and change her outfits and all that kind of stuff. Um, she's got a ponytail that moves, you know, very realistically. Her facial expressions are really well done and clear, and it's all in real time, you know, using just a graphics engine. And so it's, it's just a heck of a showpiece. Um, and, you know, I fire it up every now and again. It can really, it looks really good in 2010. And it looks really good in 2020, even um, at the high resolution with all the effects running. It's, it's just really well done. Nice. Is that actually a game or just like a tech demo thing? You know, it ultimately was released as a game, but to be absolutely honest with um, all of our listeners, there's not much game there. I mean, there's a few odd little, you know, mini games that are thrown in, but more than anything, it's more of a tech demo for sure. It's really impressive, though, graphically. I gotcha. So with my pick, I decided to go with a game that I think was really surprising to me when I got it. Uh, a friend came over to my house one day and we were having like a Saturn party. So we had a Saturn set up on a big screen TV with a really bad upscaler and just threw a bunch of shit in there. And one of the games he threw in there was this game called Game Goku. And I didn't think of it much to begin with. I thought it was kind of a parodious thing. But one of the things that really caught me off guard was when I got to the second level and fought a cat lady. With like her underwear showing, it's really was really strange. <laughs> and then later on, continue to play that and fighting a cute girl singing karaoke. It was just really bizarre. That's with all the candy cabs. Yeah, and I didn't realize what the story was at first, but it's like the lady right here, uh, the the purple lady, whatever, or blue hair, is running a cab, and some weird scientist guy comes in and turns all the machines against her. And they all come, and everyone on these different uh, Jalico properties comes to save her. And they all just come to save her. It's really bizarre. And uh, the game is like one of my favorite shoot 'em ups just because it's so bizarre. And I thought I would never get any releases beyond the Saturn. But just recent, recently, like in the last three years or so, it got not only one, not two, but three different special editions for it. It got the Japanese special edition. On, on Japan that came out on like, through Play Asia, Limited Games came out with the they had the the Siren case that they were doing, and they basically put the game Paradise thing in there. So it's really weird and it's a really cool st- special edition. And on top of that, they had another one for the Switch that came out that came with a vinyl record as well, which to my knowledge isn't released yet. But yeah, it's just a bizarre game. It's a lot of fun, a great shoot 'em up and. It's highly recommended, but it's tough as nails, especially the karaoke stuff. Well, that does it for the cast today, guys. Thank you for listening, and thank you for everyone for your support all these years. What was it? Almost three years since we started doing this. It's amazing. Thank you, Sega, for the Saturn. It's it's been amazing these these last years. I mean, I've only been on it for a short time, but from what I've played with Saturn, it's been amazing. All the friends I made through it and all the games I played and all the weirdness and all the weird moments, it's all been worth it. It's a weird system. I love it. And here's to the next 25, not years, but millennia. 25 millennia of the Saturn forever. Saturn forever, all the way. Yeah, it's been it's been an amazing 25 years for me as well. By far my favorite console. So many new things that I'm still discovering to this day. 
so many weird and quirky games that you can play on it. And because it came out at a time where social media wasn't really a thing and, you know, it wasn't really easily possible to connect with other gamers like it is today, you know, those communities and those connections are happening now. And so it's just something really special to be a part of. Um, I love writing the articles that I write on it. I love that people get a kick out of them and that people listen to our podcasts and watch our streams and our videos and our Let's Plays. And it's just an amazing, amazing machine. So... Um, yeah, it's it's been a blast, and I'm I'm really looking forward to the next 25 millennia for sure. Saturn injected directly into the brainstem. Oh yeah, Saturn all the time in your brain, in your head, in your mind. Yes, please. All right, guys. Well, that does it. That about does it. Thank you guys for listening, and remember, you must play the Sega Saturn, and you must give me some cough drops for my throat.
why don't we start off with you, Ben? Oh man. Okay, what have I been up to? Uh dodging oh, getting the no. Ben no. The... You're horrible. Do what? You you're... sound like oh, you no. sound like you're talking to a fan. <laughs> okay, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is what it's <laughs> do, do I seriously sound like I'm talking to a fan? You do. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> It's really airy in here. <laughs> that better go in the outtakes. <laughs> hey Ben, how are you doing? 